Today we come to the end of our time in Ephesians. This summer we've been reading from this letter, which is different from many of Paul's other writings in that it doesn't seem to be written to address some specific trouble. It's got a more general and so perhaps even more timeless message about the vastness of God's grace and love and the lofty hopes God has for a group of people like us who've been showered, empowered, infused with that love and grace. It's a letter from a spiritual parent to the generation that comes after him, and it's written with a parental affection for and belief in his audience. Do you have someone like that in your life who was there at the beginning of your path with God, who gave you the equivalent of food and a warm coat and some wise and loving words before you set off on this strange journey of a spiritual life? I do. I've got a great one. Her name is Carol. She's my childhood best friend's mom. I didn't really grow up in church. My family went for Christmas and Easter and weddings and funerals, but God wasn't really part of every day for us. Then I met Natalie, and as we became besties over things like hating boys and being smarter than anyone else in the known universe, Carol brought me in under her wings. She wasn't a theologian, not a scholar or preacher. I can't really remember her teaching me a Bible lesson ever. But she loved, oh man, she loved people. She loved God in everyday ways, both simple and profound, with food and laughter and a deep faith that just inhabited her no matter what. As it is when you're a kid, I didn't appreciate it for what it was at the time. But I can see now that she was my first and foundational experience of a person who loved with God's love. My parents loved me lots and lots in my childhood. But at the time I met Carol, they didn't yet have God's love to give. So she loved and prayed for all three of us. And Carol's prayers always seemed to get answered. So when Paul is all parental like he is in Ephesians, I can feel it, you know. I've experienced it with Carol and others since. It seems familiar to me that Paul loves us so much that he can say, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What a thing to pray for us. It also feels familiar to me to have someone believing in me, saying, you can do this, like this from Paul. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering to God. That's what this book of Ephesians is full of. And now we come to the time of wrapping it up. So I hope as you hear these words that Paul finishes with, that you can hear them with the memory of one of your own spiritual parents, someone who knows you and has skin in your game. If you don't have one, Paul's here, and Pastor Lori for sure. And as a backup, you have me. I love you. I believe in you. But Paul, he's better with words, so we'll let him. This is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong and in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I hope this doesn't feel like too much of a bait and switch. I set you up with all these somewhat sentimental memories of being loved and nurtured and believed in, and now, bam, hear all these words and pictures of war and weaponry. Oh, and P.S., the guy writing them was in chains at the time imprisoned. He's not a childhood friend's mom at home with a table full of roast and biscuits. Well, hang with me here while we dig a little deeper. This passage has three main parts. First, our assignment from God in light of his great love for us. Then the obstacles we'll face in carrying it out. And finally, what we've been given to see it through. So first, the assignment. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Our assignment is to stand, not to attack, not to launch an offensive, and not to retreat, but to stand, to hold the place we've been given. What is that place in Paul's mind? It's not expressly stated here. But there are two causes Paul constantly advocates for throughout this book and across all his other writings. The first is the proclamation of the gospel, and not just by telling the words about the good news of Jesus' love and work, but by living them out, by incarnating the love of Christ in our very own flesh and blood. That's one place he has for us to stand in. The second is a byproduct of it. Because if we stand in this all-surpassing love of God, if we proclaim it with every word and action, then the natural result ought to be for us to become unified, despite how different we all are when we get started. In Paul's day, the people of God were from two very distinct backgrounds and ideologies. There were the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. And left to their own devices, they did not like each other. The other side seemed to represent everything wrong about people. I know we don't really have anything going on like that today, of course. No divisions, no fighting, no us and them thinking. But you'll just have to use your imagination with me. Paul himself straddled this great divide 
He was born Jewish, but he was also the main missionary to the Gentiles. And from the beginning, his message was this, in Christ, this division has no place. Get over it. I don't care that your differences seem irreconcilable. You have the love of God in your pockets, so you have everything you need. Love anyway. Earlier in Ephesians, it sounds like this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So that's where we're to stand in living out the glorious truth of God's love by loving as one people. That's our assignment. What are the obstacles to excelling in that assignment? If you ask me, they're legion. My current list of obstacles to loving others as Christ would is porch pirates, loud vehicle drivers in my neighborhood, COVID deniers, the Taliban. There's not obviously all the same. This is just the beginning of my list of people I can't seem to find much love for. Also, I'm tired. And a lot of days I'd rather just sit on my porch listening to the Cardinals lose while commiserating with my plants or petting my dog. My list of obstacles for loving others as Christ would in union with other Christ followers is also long. The comments section of almost any Facebook page seems to highlight them these days. Or watching the United Methodist Church try to figure out how to be the United Methodist Church. But Paul would take issue with my list. He says, these are my obstacles to standing in the place I've been given. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The differences between vaxxers and anti-vaxxers seems irreconcilable at this point. But each side is made up of very human people, many of whom are Christ followers. So what do we do with that? Who's the enemy? I think we have to be very careful in answering that question these days, because Paul won't. God won't let the answer be other people. The enemy is the virus. The enemy is misinformation. The enemy is pride and fear and self-righteousness and the dehumanizing that comes when we other people. The differences between Muslim extremists and groups like the Taliban or Al-Qaeda and everyone else in the rest of the world seem irreconcilable. But our enemy is for sure not all Muslim people. It's not even the extremists, even though it's harder to believe that when they're the ones with guns aimed at women and children. Our enemy is the rhetoric of extremism. Our enemy is the desperate living conditions that make such extremism attractive. Our enemy is pride and fear and self-righteousness and the dehumanizing that comes when we other people. Paul calls us to know our true enemy so that we may resist them while still loving all the people involved. It's funny to me that some people choose to critique Christ followers who have a love as a priority over doctrinal conflicts as being lightweights. It's like they're saying to love in the face of questions and vast differences 
is the easy way out. If I say that I think my first job is to love people and let God sort out what is sin and not sin, that is so not the easy way out. Making a list of do's and don'ts and sticking to it no matter the limits of my understanding, the context in question, the effects of my privilege, or the reality of the vast intricacies of human beings, friends, that's easy. It doesn't take anything but the ability to memorize and a strong denial defense mechanism. Loving is hard. Loving with Christ's love, loving despite the obstacles which at first appear to be the people themselves. But it is subtler than that, way more complicated, because every single human we come across contains both the soul we're to be called to love and the opposition. We all have pride and fear and self-righteousness, and they are the enemies to love. So how do we resist the enemies enough to stand our ground, loving people, when the enemies and the people are so closely linked? Well, Paul tells us that God has provided the tools we need. He says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I'm not going to go through all these tools one by one. Instead, let me just highlight a couple so we can work out the nature of what God's offering us here. The imagery of armor is effective because it talks about us being outfitted from head to toe to resist every attack. But armor is also a little closely linked to war for us. And war for us is so often about going on the attack. It's about violence. But this metaphor isn't meant to convey that. It's meant to speak of protection, not violence. Defense, not offense. And not defense at the expense of another person. The belt of truth, for example, buckled around our waist. The word truth here isn't about propositional truth. It's not about facts like this is August, or a tomato is a fruit, or A squared plus B squared equals C squared. This is not a call to put your knowledge to work in attempting to set others straight. Truth in the Greek here speaks of truth about self, about transparency, integrity, about living as honestly as we can about who we are. God doesn't need us to pretend to be better than we are so he can look good. God can't inhabit fiction. God and God's love are displayed in truth, in us being willing to be exactly who we are. That's the protection from things like pride. Then also your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. That one definitely tells us that we're not offered these gifts for the sake of waging our own wars. What we put on our feet in order to stand is the gospel of peace. The reality that God loves each and every human being, not in spite of ourselves, but because of his choice. And God is at work in every moment, in every action, helping people to be reconciled to himself. 
to have them make peace with who they truly are and with who God truly is, and to realize we're made to be together. And what comes when all those things align is peace. We have that in our souls and in our S-O-L-E souls, in the place that grounds us to stand in love, united with all who stand in Christ. These are the kinds of tools God offers us for the assignment we're given. Tools that offer us strength and protection, but not at the cost of someone else. These tools aren't sarcasm or shame or exclusion. They're not weapons to wage war, but protection so that we can drop our own measly defenses. Living in defensive mode around people takes so much energy. It's exhausting. It makes our temper short. It blinds us from seeing others as they are, just people. People we are called to love, not a sentimental slush kind of love, but self-sacrificial put someone ahead of yourself love, even when they have every appearance of being the enemy. It seems an impossible task a lot of days, but Paul believes in us. Paul loves us with God's love, just as truly and really as Carol loved me. And that plants some life in us that, we, that can't help but grow. My friend Carol died this week of the enemy COVID. Her family invited me to officiate her celebration of life service. And while I was sitting with them visiting about how they wanted it to go, her husband said, we don't want this to be terribly sad, but I don't know how you're gonna turn all these silly family stories into a funeral. Well, I said, it'll be some hard work, but I can do this. It's something I can do now. I've been a pastor. Would you have guessed it when I was a kid? He's a gruff sort of country fella, so he missed the opportunity to compliment me and said, no, I'd never have thought of it with the way you started out. I don't know if Carol saw potential in me for this work or not. I don't think it would have mattered to her. She was gonna love me just the same. Through teenage angst and family crises, and then through growing up and even losing touch, she never stopped loving me with that spiritual parent love. She put me on the path, helped settle my breastplate of righteousness, handed me the sword of the word, every movement full of God's love, just like he'd assigned her to do, just like he's assigned us to do. So please hear this. I love you. Pastor Lori loves you with God's love. We stand ready to help you put your things on if you need it. Paul loves you too. Paul believes in you and all of us that we can stand unified in love no matter what 2020 or 2021 or 2022 have to throw at us. I know you might be tired. I'm tired. I know you might be scared. I'm scared. I know you might be heartbroken. I'm heartbroken. I know you might be a whole host of things I've never been, but God himself still believes in us. To borrow Paul's words from elsewhere, God always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. God never fails. Let's pray. God, we thank you. First, for your love that we can't measure the depth or width of. We don't define its boundaries, not for ourselves and not for others. 
We thank you that your love is so strong that out of the many it makes one. If only we'll respond. We ask for your help in these days that seem hard beyond all imagining sometimes. Help us to see where the real enemies are. Help us to resist the temptations of friendly fire. Please provide us with people who will love us with your love so we can see it in action, feel it in our bones, and then help us to give that gift freely to all people we come across. We're no army of perfectly trained and prepared soldiers. We're a mishmash of busted and breathtaking humans, a church, a body, your people. Help us to stand in that place. Amen.